I didn't plan to say anything, but my husband informed me I had to talk a minute while I got his guitar ready. Um, actually, when, we, uh, uh, when Karen emailed me and said, can you sing on Father's Day Sunday, I jumped at the chance. Of course, I never tell her no, um, unless I'm not here. But uh, I started thinking, because it would be in the chapel, and I just love this place. Keith and I were married in here, and it just holds a, a special place in my heart. Um, but um, singing for the Lord is something that I just have grown up with. I mean, it's always been in my life. Um, I can remember my mother forcing me to go up on stage when I was probably two or three at church, uh, like on Sunday night. All the kids come up and sing. We're going to sing Jesus Love Me. Get up out of the seat. Come on. You know. Don't have a choice, but uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to do when I was um, choosing a song is I wanted to sing uh, an old hymn because I just being in the chapel, it just reminds me of my heritage, and music to me, it, it speaks to me and reminds me of my heritage as well, and I know I've heard Gary say since he's been here that the songs that we learn and that we teach our children we're writing the words of Jesus on their heart in the music. And so what we're going to sing tonight, actually Keith grew up in a church where in the first time I went it was quite different because they have Sunday school for an hour, church, they would sing for an hour, and then they would preach for an hour. I was really hungry that first time I went because <laughs> we didn't get out till like 1.30. But one of the things that was an, a bit unusual for me is that his home church sang, I have a hymn book with shape notes. And he uh, grew up and went to singing school in the summer. And, uh, you know, they have, I don't know the names of the notes, Fa, So, La, and they sing that way. And it was mighty strange. So I went to one of his old hymn books, and I wanted to pick um, a hymn to sing that, you know, was just a traditional hymn. So I hope you will enjoy this um, medley. Keith, and I asked him to sing with me. Some of you haven't heard him sing in a while. He does sing very well. And you'll probably want to recruit him to the choir. We'll just have to make uh, Ron let him come down out of the balcony some to sing with us. Uh, but we're going to sing a medley uh, of Tell Me the Story of Jesus and Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Tell me the story of Jesus Write on my heart every word Tell me the story most precious Sweetest that ever was heard Tell how the angels in chorus Sang as they welcomed his birth Glory to God in the Love in that storm. 
Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Tell me the story of Jesus. Right on my heart every word Tell me the story most precious Sweetest that ever was that secret, haven't you? <laughs> Thank you, Keith and Julie. Um, tonight, I just want to encourage you with a word from Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9, about faithfulness of God. We've talked about, us, about it, we sang about it, and uh, tonight we're going to preach about it. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9. You remember last Sunday, we talked about the covenant the relationship that God entered into with us. And uh, he's going to hold up his end of the bargain if we will hold up ours. And that's what this message is about. God is faithful because he's in a covenant relationship with us. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. Someone asked me, why did God choose to be in covenant with the Jews? Well, it tells here. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. How long is God going to keep his covenant? A thousand generations. When that's over, another thousand. However long it takes. Let's pray. God, you are faithful to us but we are not so faithful to you. So encourage us. We need, we need something solid. We need a foundation that we can build our lives upon. When we look around this world and see the, the things that so many people stake their lives on crumbling, Father, we turn to you, and you're there. You never leave. You never desert us. We need you as a foundation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Someone, uh, archaeologists, were digging through some ancient ruins in the Middle East and they found a stone that had some words etched on it from another civilization. And when they translated the ancient inscription, 
This is what it said. It said, alas, things are not what they used to be. That was 2,000 years ago. People were longing for the good old days back then. If that person could be alive today, the speed of change and the degree of change happening around us causes our heads to spin. One expert has suggested that 75% of all the information ever known in the history of the world has been discovered in the last 20 years. Another commentator says we are exposed to more transactions in one day than our grandparents were in a lifetime. Is there something we can hang on to in the midst of such drastic change, a foundation that we can stake our lives on that does not shake? The Bible answers that question with a resounding yes. We can stand on the faithfulness of God. Amen? How often the note of God's faithfulness is resounded in the Bible. Moses declares here to the Hebrews that God is a faithful God. In the aftermath of Jerusalem's destruction, Lamentation says, Great is thy faithfulness. We sang it tonight. What does the word faithful mean in the Bible? I looked it up. Steadfast, dedicated, dependable, worthy of trust. In the Greek, the word is pistos, and that referred originally to having confidence or faith in your weapons. It came to meaning having confidence in a contractual relationship. So the idea of covenant comes in here. God is in a covenant relationship with us. He forged an agreement with us and he is going to honor it even to a thousand generations. God is going to be faithful to us. And I think this is one of the most encouraging messages that the Bible offers is God's faithfulness. Because we need to understand and believe it. We need something sure. You know, I used to be amused by uh, the Prestone commercial on TV. If you can't trust Prestone, who can you trust? Uh, God? I, I can trust him more than I can trust antifreeze. So we can trust God. He is faithful to his person. First of all, he's faithful to three things. He's faithful to his person, to his promises, and to his purpose. Three things, all beginning with P. He's faithful to his person. God is faithful to himself. He is God. It says it here. The faithful God who keeps your God is God. He is faithful. And it says in Deuteronomy 32.4 that God is the rock. He's a rock. You remember the rock of Gibraltar? That was an insurance company, wasn't it? That uh, tried to encourage um, confidence in them. It, it, it refers to something that is immovable and unshakable and solid. Moses struggled to find a word adequate to describe God, and he came up with the word rock. God is the rock, symbolizing our protection and our refuge and his unchangeableness. Our good intentions are often short-circuited by our self-centeredness, but not God's. Our reactions are distorted because of their inappropriateness, but not God's. We bend the truth to make things easier on ourselves and make ourselves look better, but not God. Our moods cause us to change from one occasion to another, but not God. He does not change. He is always God. He is consistently God. And that's why Moses struggled for some kind of analogy to describe it. And the best thing, the most solid thing Moses could come up with is God's like a rock. It's like a rock. He doesn't change. Young lady named Cindy was returning to her apartment from the swimming pool there in their 
um, apartment complex and noticed a new guy moving in next door. She greeted him and, and uh, he spoke to her. They talked for a few minutes and he said, listen, can I take you out to eat tomorrow night? And you kind of get me acclimated to the new area. So to make the right impression, Cindy spent all the next day getting her hair frosted, painting her lips, applying eyeshadow and false eyelashes, did her nails and popped in tinted contact lenses. Finally, she looked in the mirror and said to herself, tonight he's going to see the real me. Y'all like that? You know, we don't, we don't show others the real me because we're too afraid to show people who we really are. So we spend time pretending to be somebody different from the person we really are. But you know what? God's not like that. He doesn't try to fill one role on one occasion and another role on another occasion. He doesn't wear one hat over here and another hat over here. He's the same He's consistent. He's not one thing to one person and another thing to another person. He's the same from one person to the other, from one generation to the next for a thousand generations. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever because he is unchangeable and he is immutable. He is forever faithful to his name. If you look, if you look up the word faithfulness in the dictionary, you should have the picture of God beside it because he defines the term. He's faithful to his person. Second of all, he's faithful to his promises. He is the God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant, Moses said. Has anyone ever promised you something and then didn't deliver? Of course. Every day, somebody promises to do something for you and then they back out. Somebody promises to give you something and then don't do it. Politicians promise to lower the debt without raising your taxes. But that doesn't happen. So life is filled with unkept promises. But God keeps his promises. And I guess that's why it's so difficult for us to understand because nobody else does that. He made a covenant with his people and he demanded certain things from them and promised certain things to them. And he will keep his promises because he's faithful to do so. And if you want to look up some promises in the Bible, I mean, on every page... God has a promise, and they always come to pass. He promised never to destroy the earth again with a flood, and he hasn't. He promised to deliver Israel from captivity, and he did. He promised to send a Messiah to redeem all mankind, and he has. When Jesus left, he promised to send the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, he did. When he promised to forgive us if we confess our sins, he will. And he promised never to put more on us than we can bear. And he won't. Who can tell me of a promise that God ever failed to keep? You can't, can you? Of whom else can you say that? No one else. We may renege on a promise and fail to follow through on a commitment, but never God will do that. He is faithful because he cannot be any other way. He's faithful to his person. He's faithful to his promises. Finally, he's faithful to his purpose. God keeps his covenant. He's faithful to his purpose. What is God's purpose? What is his purpose in our world that he's going to be faithful to accomplish? It's an important question. And I just picked out four passages in the New Testament that kind of define what God is up to in our world for me. First of all, Romans 8.28, Paul says that all things work together for good to those who are called 
according to his purpose. And then it goes on in verses 29 and 30 to say what that purpose is. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So his first purpose is to conform us to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. The second passage, Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. And, and the, this opening to one of Paul's richest epistles, Paul writes, In him who also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We are part of his working all things together according to, the, to his purpose. A third passage, Ephesians 3, Paul says, God had made known to him that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. And he concludes in verses 11 and 12, that was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is about bringing Gentiles in as fellow heirs of the promises of God. The fourth one, 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10 Paul says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So if I were to summarize these four passages talking about God's purposes... We know that God is about transformation, conforming us to the image of Jesus. And he is about restoration, restoring us in relationship with each other and our relationship with him. He wants to transform us into the person we were created to be. And he wants to restore our relationship with him and with each other. That's what he's about. Conforming us to the image of Jesus, tearing down walls and building relationships between us and him. Those are his purposes. How does he carry it out? He's carrying it out through Jesus. All who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and identify with him will be created in his image. All who acknowledge him and identify with him will be reestablished in a relationship with God. He is transforming. He is restoring. And the Bible says that God's going to be faithful to that because that's his purpose. His person, His promise, His purpose. What does it mean for us? Two things, real quickly. First of all, it should give us some comfort. One of the greatest problems Americans face today is fear. The, Institute, the National Institute of Health reports that one out of nine adults harbors some kind of phobia. One out of nine, some kind of phobia, making fear the second most common mental health problem. Some of our phobias have names, but beyond specific identifiable phobias, there are those that are indescribable and that grip the pit of our stomach and, and create anxiety attacks, what people call today. But to believe that God is faithful to his person and his promise and his purpose so give us some comfort and help us get through each day. If that's true, let it thunder right now. <laughs> Not only should it give us comfort, but it also give us confidence. 
Someone has said that with the way things are in our world today, if pessimists aren't happy, they never will be. <laughs> there are a lot of good reasons for pessimism. Just, just think about the developments today with the Gulf of Mexico. Friends, that worries me to death and what that's doing to our ecosystem and our environment. You know, I'm worried about the Middle East. I'm worried about Muslims. I'm worried about um, terrorism. All things going on, but we can be confident because we know how history is going to come out in the end. We don't know exactly how it's going to get there, but we know what the final story is going to be because God has told us in his word what is going to happen. You know, sometimes when I read a novel, I hate to admit this, but when nobody's around, I'll read the last few pages to see what's going to happen. Well, I have read the last few pages of the Bible, and I know who's going to win. And I know how it's going to turn out. No matter what things look like around us, no matter how strained our life or estranged our relationships may be, we can have confidence in God because our world is moving toward an end He has already said will happen. How do we know that? Because God is faithful. He is faithful to who He is. He's faithful to the promises He makes. He's faithful to the purposes He has established. If you can't trust Preston, who can you trust? You can trust God. And this assurance, I hope, should bring you some comfort and some confidence this evening. That's the best news I have to offer. Shall we pray? God, you are faithful. Over and over again in the Bible, when Israel forsook the covenant, you called them back. You kept loving them. You never gave up until the end of the Old Testament, and then you established a new covenant with us through Jesus Christ. And you offer us the riches of an inheritance as heirs of the throne of God. You have promised us everything if we will be faithful to you. We know you're faithful to us. So often when you seem distant, we realize it's not you who has moved, but it is we. When we have moved away from our first love, the warmth and excitement of our new relationship with you, it's not because you have changed. It's because we have. God, thank you for being the, the perfect kind of God you are, faithful and true, loving us with an everlasting love to a thousand, thousand generations. Father, help us be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn number 290. 
I am thine, O Lord. I'll be at the front. God is faithful. He is calling you to himself. Will you be faithful to him, professing your faith, rededicating your life, joining this church? The doors are open. I'll be at the front to receive you. 290, you come. We'll stand and sing.